this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. It's a new year. Aren't we ready to get out of everything about the old year? We've been kind of COVID zombied. We've kind of drifted into a state of the walking dead. And you know what? We're not gonna get out of that state as long as we continue to tell the same old, tired, wrong story. We've got to figure out the real story, the true story. And this, I hope, will be your wake up call. It is the dry, arid Middle East in the Bronze Age, and the war-weary soldier stands bloody before the king to plead his case. We find his case made in 1 Kings 20, 39 and 40. The soldier says, Sir, I was in the thick of battle and suddenly a man, probably a superior officer, brought me a prisoner and said, guard this man. If for any reason he gets away, you will either die or pay a fine of 75 pounds of silver. You know, I should have looked up how much 75 pounds of silver was worth. Uh, it's like half a million dollars. Can you imagine a soldier on a soldier's wages paying a half million dollars? So he's either got to die or pay this huge sum of money if he doesn't guard this man. But he goes on and explains to the king. He says, while I was busy doing something else, the prisoner disappeared. The soldier is reporting to his king that he has blown it. And it sounds like, it sounds like the soldier's trying to win favor with the king. Look, you know, king, I was busy. You know, I had a lot of responsibilities. Uh, there were a lot of things going on. I mean, there's a whole battle being fought. Uh, I know I was given this one job. And, you know, I did a really good job for, you know, 99% of the time. There was just that 1% where I let him go. So why would the king be okay with this? Why would the king be like, oh, I, I think you're, you're fine. I'm pleased with you. But the king doesn't have time for this. The king doesn't really want to hear about it. This scene happens on the side of a road where the soldier's been waiting to meet the king as he passes by. And so the king treats the soldier kind of offhandedly. Verse 40, he says, well, the king says, it's your own fault. You have brought the judgment upon yourself. In other words, you get what you deserve, right? You had one job and you blew it. You were given one assignment and you dropped the ball. So the king is ready to move on and let this soldier suffer his own consequences. But the soldier has a secret that he has not yet revealed to the king. And the secret is there is no POW. There is no prisoner of war, and there never was. In fact, this injured, bloody, bandaged man is not even really a soldier 
at all. Look at what the next verse says. Verse 41, then the prophet quickly pulled the bandage from his eyes and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. This guy's not a soldier. He is a prophet of God sent on a mission from God to deliver a message by God to rattle King Ahab with the harsh truth. Turns out this whole POW story has been a leadership parable designed to hit King Ahab right between the eyes and the prophet dramatically brings the story home right here on the side of the road. Verse 42, the prophet said to him, this is what the Lord says, because you, Ahab, have spared the man I said must be destroyed. Now you must die in his place and your people will die instead of his people. So what's, what in the heck is going on here? This is kind of a crazy story. What's happening? I, I want to back up in the story to the beginning of this chapter because this is kind of wild. Soldier, not a soldier. P-O-W, not a P-O-W. Bloodied and beaten and all of a sudden this revelation that you have let somebody go and now you're going to die for it. So let me back up to the beginning of the chapter and just kind of talk you through the story. King Ahab was the king of Israel. At the time, Israel was divided into the northern and southern kingdoms, uh, and Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He had inherited the throne from his father Omri, and Ahab was known to be a bad king, really, really a bad king. Ahab replaced the Hebrew worship temple practices with the pagan fertility cult ritual practices, which included worship with the temple versions. In other words, if you wanted to worship, you had to pay a visit to the virgins at the temple. So he had all the prophets of God, the actual prophets of God hunted down and killed, except for a few he allowed to remain alive and they had to hide out in caves. Ahab won some military victories, but he is regarded in the Old Testament as the worst king that Israel ever had. Ahab's big arch enemy was King Ben-Hadad of Syria, neighboring nation, who was an evil, arrogant tyrant himself. Ben-Hadad was so arrogant, he just started writing letters to King Ahab saying, look, I'm coming for you. I'm coming to get you. And everything that you own is going to be mine. Uh, and he literally says, and we have it recorded in 1 Kings, he literally says all of your uh, property, all of your riches, all of your wives, and all of your children are mine, and I'm coming to get them. This is an evil, arrogant king, Ben-Hadad. And of course, this makes pagan King Ahab a little worried because he knows the truth. He's heard the truth. He knows he's supposed to be the king of God's people, representing the king of all kings. He's supposed to represent God to his people, and he knows that he has led them far, far, far astray because he's far, far, far out of line from God's authority. So he, he sees this big threat from his evil, 
arch enemy and he's a little worried. Is this going to be God's judgment on me? Is this, is this how this is all going to come crashing down? Is God going to use Ben-Hadad to judge me and to judge my people? But here, one of the prophets comes to see the king to deliver a prophetic word of God. I don't think it's the same prophet from the story we looked at a minute ago with the POW. It's one of the prophets that have been allowed to live, and he delivers a prophetic word to Ahab. In other words, he tells him what's about to happen. With all of the enemy army lined up and ready to march into Israel, the prophet says, here's what's going to happen. Hey, the first Sunday of January 2021, wouldn't you love a solid, clear, definitive, prophetic word from God? Wouldn't you love to hear what's going to happen in the Georgia runoff elections? Wouldn't you love for God to just tell you, here's what's going to happen? Wouldn't you love for God to tell you, here's what's going to happen with COVID-19 in 2021? Here's how we're going to end COVID-19 in 2020. Wouldn't you love a definitive, clear, prophetic word about that? Wouldn't you love a clear, prophetic word about what's going to happen in the next four years of a Biden-Harris administration? Wouldn't you love a clear, solid, prophetic word from God about what's going to happen economically to your retirement plan, right? Or to your life savings as socialism creeps in and begins to really take over everything. Well, you and I may or may not get a prophetic word that solid, but Ahab did. He got a clear, definitive word from God. And here's what the prophet tells him in 1 Kings 20, 13. He says, do you see all these enemy forces? They're all lined up, ready to come and kill you. But today, I will hand them all over to you. Today, I will hand them over to you. Today, they will be yours instead of you becoming theirs. And then you will know that I am the Lord. Yeah, God is using this dangerous threat, this terrorizing circumstance to get Ahab's attention. Does that happen in your life? I've talked to people who have said, yeah, man, I should not be alive today. Nobody survives a car accident like that. But here I am. God was trying to get my attention. Right? Have you had that? Or my child shouldn't have survived that debilitating disease. But look, there he or she is today. God was trying to get our attention. My first response on that is always, what did he say? <laughs> and then they never really know. God is saying, I will use these terrorizing circumstances and I will do this miracle. When you see how awesome I am, when you see what I do, then you will know that I am the Lord. He's saying that you guys, literally it says in this passage, that you guys are like a little tiny flock of goats compared to their awesome, massive, terrorizing army. You're nothing compared to them, but today I'm going to do a miracle. Today I'm going to deliver them into your hands. Your little bitty, tiny, insignificant army is going to defeat the Syrian hordes. 
and you will know that I am God. Watch what I do, and you'll finally see me. Then you will turn from your wicked ways. Then you will lead your people back to me, back where you belong. You will come back. You'll leave your pagan practices. You'll realize that's getting you nowhere. All that junk that you're putting your trust in, your faith in, that is garbage. It's killing you. But once you see what I do, you'll get who I am and you'll return to me. You'll come back to me. Maybe God is using these most bizarre circumstances, these things that we hate, that we pray against, that we wish would go away, the COVID, the politics, the unrest, the enemies that we have in our own lives. Maybe God is dumping all this pressure on us to get ready to say, I'm going to do something great through this and then you'll come back. Maybe he's sending this to us as a warning sign to say, come back to me. If you just look to me, you'll see how great I am through all this. And maybe God wants to do a miracle to prove himself to be God, not because he wants to make your life better, but because, and this is the first blank on your page, because God wants you back. God wants you back. I believe God's tired of watching believers drift in the COVID zombie. I think all of us this past year, we've kind of turned into these COVID Christian zombies. Because all the pressure's been on us, all the crud has been on us. We had the shutdown, the lockdowns, the social distancing, and nothing's normal and we don't know which way is up half the time. And so instead of instead of praying and purposing, we've just drifted. So many believers have forgotten who they are. Have forgotten that you are the light of the world. That you alone worship in spirit and in truth. That you are the hope of the world today. Because Jesus lives in you. And you hold the keys to death and hell because Jesus has handed him over to you. You carry the gospel, the solution to all of our world's problems. You alone carry it. The government doesn't have that. You know, the medical organizations don't have it. You know, the World Health Organization ain't got that. And we can't print enough money to fix it. You alone are the light of the world. The body of Christ is the hope of the world. But we've lost sight of that. In 2020, we've lost sight, I believe, of the gospel in our lives. We have forgotten that we were once terrorized by an enemy king. That we were once under the heel of an imposing, self-imposing, self-righteous, arrogant tyrant. Sin and death that we had fallen to sinfulness and that we deserved judgment, that we were spiritually dead. We have forgotten where we were and who saved us. We've forgotten that Jesus didn't just come to live a life here so that we could be happy, so that we could be comfortable, so that we could make money, you know, so that we could be good little boys and girls and be in church on Sunday. 
We have forgotten that that's not who we are. That's what we've drifted into, but that's not who we are. We were dead, and Jesus went to the cross, and he died for our sins. In other words, you should have died, but he died for you, and he rose again, and he saves you. He gives you his new life. You have gone from death. You hear me? Death. You've gone from COVID zombie to life. You should be the life bringer to the zombies around you. That's who you are. Hello? Are you alive? Is there a pulse in the room? Because that's who you are. But we've spent 2020 being very zombie-like, and God wants you back. Deuteronomy, he says, The Lord, your God, is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies, and he will give you victory. I know we cower in fear. I know we lock in the house. And and I'm not saying we shouldn't be safe. We should be safe as appropriately as we can. But good grief, he will defeat your enemies for you. He goes before you and behind you. He has a purpose for your life. He's not just trying to make you better. He is glorifying himself through you. Is that who you are? Are you a person that lives to glorify God? 1 John 5 says every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. You are a defeater of the world that's out to defeat you. You may feel like nothing but a little flock of goats against a massive Syrian horde, but you defeat this evil world and achieve the victory through our faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 8.37 gives us the next blank on our page. Overwhelming victory is ours in Christ. You hear that? Overwhelming victory. I don't see a bunch of victorious winning soldiers marching in here on Sunday mornings. I see a bunch of wimpy COVID zombies trickling in and barely being conscious when we worship the king who has given us life. What is wrong with us? You have fallen asleep. You've forgotten who you are. Wake up. Come to life again. Jesus did not die for you to trickle He died for you to march against the enemy hordes of this world and to take back ground for the king. He wants you back, and he wants this world back. Our problem is we've COVID drifted for so long that we've forgotten our one job. You've been given a job, our one job. And it starts with you having the hardest babysitting job ever given in the history of humanity, right? You've been charged with watching over someone, the hardest person in the world to watch over. And you know who that hardest person to babysit is? You. You. You've been given the responsibility to guard this man, and it's you, right? It's not your husband, it's not your wife, it's not your kids, it's you. And it's hard because the person on this planet that is most capable of deceiving you is you. The person on this planet uh, that is most capable of harming you is you. Right? You are your own worst enemy. 
but you have been clothed in righteousness. You have been given a new life and you've been called to live a life worthy of the price paid by Jesus. And so you've been given the responsibility to guard, to keep that old man, to lock him down. Don't let him run free. You are a new creature in Christ. But that old you still raises his ugly head from time to time, doesn't he? And he wants to undermine everything the king has done for you in your life. So many of us in this difficult past year seem to have drifted out of this victory wandering aimlessly from day to day with no plan, no purpose. We've forgotten. But I'm here today to beg you to remember who you are, to remember who you are becoming rather than drift in the zombie COVID days that you've been in and letting the old man run free. You've let him out too many times and you've given him leeway in your life too many times. But I'm asking you this morning to do what Jesus calls you to do. And it's the next blank on your page to live the victory. You've been given a prophetic word. He will defeat your enemy. He defeats the old man. He came to kill that old man and you are charged with guarding him until that final judgment day. Your job is to guard him. And you do that by living the victory. Take that prophetic word and realize that that old man is over. But instead of living the victory, we, like King Ahab, we compromise. That's what Ahab was probably the best at doing, is compromising. Ben-Hadad was defeated soundly on the battlefield that day. Defeated soundly. Little bitty flock of goats defeated the whole Syrian army. If they weren't killed, they all ran away screaming in terror, never to return. Ben-Hadad lost everything, just like God had promised. But Ben-Hadad was conniving. Ben-Hadad was evil. And Ben-Hadad wasn't going to go down that easy. But he was defeated. I mean, he had no army, he had no soldiers. He had nothing left because little bitty Israel won the fight. So what Ben-Hadad does is he gets with a couple of his guys. He's like, hey, 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 hey. These people of Israel, they're God's people. They think they're God's people. So I think they're merciful. So why don't we do this? Let's, let's see if we can humble ourselves and maybe, maybe we can survive this. So Ben-Hadad puts on sackcloth, and he humbles himself and he sends messages to King Ahab of Israel. And he says, please, please let me live. Please, why don't we just get, can we just talk about this? Can we just get together? Can we just, can we just have a conversation, a dialogue? He had lost everything and he seeks to bargain. He's got nothing to bargain with, but he seeks to bargain. And sure enough, even though Ahab was completely and soundly the winner even though Ben-Hadad had nothing to bargain with, Ahab opened a door for Ben-Hadad. Verse 34 of 1 Kings 20. Ben-Hadad told him, look, okay, here's the deal. I will give you back the towns my father took from your father. He's got nothing left, but he's still negotiating. 
I give you back the towns my father took from your father, and, and you may establish places of trade in Damascus as my father did in Syria. And then Ahab said, I'll release you under these conditions. I'll release you. So they made a new treaty, and Ben-Hadad, the evil, tyrant, enemy king, was set free. Hey, believer, your old man is great at negotiating. He's a master negotiator. Not only that, but your old man is a master manipulator. Am I right? He's great at bringing up the past. He's great at justifying behavior. He's great at convincing you to go in a direction you don't want to go in. He's great at getting you to do things you don't want to do. And before you know it, you have allowed your enemy to run free, to run away with you. Am I right? Come on, am I the only one? You are told to guard your heart because your old man is a manipulator and you are the target. You have been given a purpose in this life, a plan for this life, and your old man is the enemy of that. Your old man is the enemy of God and the enemy of you being used by God to accomplish his great plans. And listen to me, we don't negotiate with the enemy. So why do you give him a voice? Why do you let him speak? Why do you give him ground in your life to gain a foothold and to start climbing back up on top. You have one job. Guard this man. 2 Corinthians 10 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Is that who we are? Taking every thought captive? Man, I may be the worst at this. I feel like I used to be a lot better at this. I used, to, I used to be all about memorizing scripture. I would have idle time. I say idle time, like I had this job, Mike, I had this job where I, uh, I started a little business of myself, you can relate to this, cleaning offices in downtown Orlando. And I did it when I was like really young. I was like 19 years old. And I got a couple of offices down there. So I would, I would go to school and uh, then all night long, I'd be cleaning offices, like, like up till three o'clock in the morning. And cleaning offices, you don't have to be like a, a genius to clean offices. Even I can do that. So, I mean, you know, you're polishing off the desks and you're taking out the garbage and you're vacuuming floors and you're cleaning toilets. That's what I would do all night long. So it's fairly mindless work. So what I would do as I was going about is I would just memorize scripture. So the first night I would, I would, I had little cards of scripture verses. And the first night I would, I would just read and memorize one verse. And then the second night, as I'm vacuuming, I'd, I'd, I'd repeat that verse, and I'd read and memorize another verse. And then the third night, I would repeat the first two verses and read and memorize a, another verse. I got to hundreds of verses that I was using to, to change my mind, that the Holy Spirit would speak through those verses at all kinds of times in my life. And now, today, when I have idle time, dude, what's on Netflix? I'm not taking every thought captive. I'm letting the old man speak. 
I'm letting him have his way. I'm letting him negotiate. I'm letting him justify. I'm no longer letting my life be marked and guided by the word of God. Instead, I'm letting the old man say, hey, look what they're doing. Why aren't you doing that? Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart above all else. The wisdom of the world is follow your heart, right? That's what all the songs say. That's what all the movies say. That's what all the things on Netflix say, follow your heart. But scripture says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Your heart, your old man speaks into your heart, speaks through your heart a lot. And you have to guard it with the word of God. Your one job, next mic on your page, your one job is to guard that old man. Okay, I know. Maybe I'm getting a little hot about this. But it's because I'm desperate. I'm, I'm desperate to see God at work. I'm desperate to see the body of Christ return to who they're supposed to be. This is an urgent message for me. And for us, the prophet sure thought it was urgent. <laughs> the prophet, <laughs> the prophet in this passage who's telling the POW story, he sure thought it was urgent. I mean, think about how urgent he thought it was. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I wish you would read this story in 1 Kings 20. You should read it because here, here's what happens. Uh, before the king comes along the road so the prophet can tell him the story, the prophet gets with a group of guys and, and he turns to the first guy and he's like, okay, um, I need, to be, I need to be bloodied and, and injured when he shows up here. And there's no CGI for this guy. <laughs> there's no prosthetic makeup. So he turns to a guy and he's like, I need you, I need you to beat me up. Would you just, be, just go ahead and beat me up? And the guy's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And the prophet says, okay, the king's coming. And because you've disobeyed me, you've disobeyed God. So here's what's going to happen. Before you get out of my eyesight, a lion's going to come and attack you and kill you and eat you. Sucks to be you. And sure enough, the guy's like, whatever. And he turns around. And before he can get too far, out of nowhere, a lion comes and attacks him and kills him. Right there in front of the prophet. So the prophet turns to the next guy. And he says, hey, I need you to beat me up. Next guy goes, okay, you know, and he's like, boom. I mean, he just beats him up. So literally the prophet thought this was an urgent enough message to get a little beaten up and bloodied about it. Thought it was urgent enough to get a little knocked around by it. So the blood and the injuries that he has are for real. I wish you and I had a similar sense of urgency about our lives. Why don't you and I think that God's purpose and God's plan in our life is as urgent as this prophet saw? Do you think that our lives would change, that our world would change if we just had a little sense of urgency about God's plan in our lives? So here's what the prophet says. Remember, he said it to you. He said it to the king earlier. We're going to look back at verse 42. He says, this is what the Lord says, because you have spared the man that I said must be destroyed. Hello, old man, Ben-Hadad. Because you spared him, because you've let him continue to speak, because you've let him negotiate, because you've let him run free. Now, 
You must die in his place and your people will die instead of his people. You see this? Look at this. It's not just the, the, the ramifications of the disobedience, the old man coming back to life. Uh, the ramifications of this aren't just for Ahab, but they are for all of his people. Is it possible that our inactions and our disobedience to God, our lack of urgency, and our COVID zombie, do you think that it's possible that it doesn't just affect us, but it could affect our marriage, our children, our community, our school, our workplace, our nation, our future? It's not just us. Do you see how urgent this is? We are the light of the world, and all of us seem to be hiding it under a bushel. Uh-oh. I'm, I'm not anti-mask. Sorry, Rebecca. I know you want me to be anti-mask. But I think this mask is a symbol of what's happened to us. I think the enemy, the old man, has been successful in gagging us so that we will not speak the truth into ourselves and into our families and into our nation. We've been lulled to sleep. We've drifted far and we have let the old man speak a lot more and a lot more loudly than we have let Christ speak in and through us. This is no trivial matter. You have one job. And the old man doesn't escape with some kind of big prison break thing, you know, where someone breaks in and they've got the schematics to the prison tattooed on their arm. It's not that, you know, it's not some Shawshank redemption digging a, a tunnel with a spoon behind a poster, you know, for years. It's not that. The old man gets out while you're busy doing something else, right? While you're distracted, while you're Netflix and chilling, while you're busy at work, why you've got a honeydew list. He runs free. Stop. Stop being busy. Stop being distracted. You've got one job. How do you do that job? How do you do that in 2021? How can 2021 be different? I know right now we're all like, yes, okay, I get it. I agree. But in a minute, you're going you're gonna to trickle right back out again. And then you're going to trickle through your week. Before you know it, it'll be seven days from now and you'll trickle back in again. And nothing will have changed. 2021 is over before it starts. Unless we do something about this. Would you do something about it? Would you be willing to actually do something? All right, let me, give you, let me just give you a couple of pointers, just a couple of tips, okay? This is practical advice. Here are some things that you can do right now to be on this. And to guard that old man, number one, I want to just encourage you, this is not a note, but you might want to write this down. Join a stinking life group this year. Maybe you've not been in a life group so far, but I want to really encourage you to be in community with other believers. This is so important. You've got so many voices speaking in your life. Wouldn't it be good to have Christian voices? talking into you, encouraging you, loving you, praying for you, bearing your burdens, encouraging you, helping you along the way. Wouldn't it be good to get in a stream of people going in the right direction instead of that stream of people going in the wrong direction? Join a life group. You can go to our website, theorchard.life. You can go there right now on your mobile device and in the top left-hand corner, you'll see the little menu pull-down thing uh, and there's a life group page. 
And on that page, you can find a life group. Most of our groups are divided up by, um, uh, by um, generation, generational gaps. And so you can find one that fits you easily. If you don't know what generation you're in, no problem. We've got a generation guide that Rebecca has put on there just for you. So the first thing is join a life group. Second thing, second thing I really want to encourage you to do is to get into the word of God. Immerse yourself in the word of God. I'm begging you. Um, we let God's word whisper while we let all other kinds of media scream at us. Man, if you spent, if you spent one-tenth of the time in God's word that you spend in front of Fox News, wouldn't that change your life? Okay, so I've got a great tool for you. Uh, it's called the Bible app. The Bible app is a great tool. And uh, look at all my fingerprints. Gross. Uh, if you use the Bible app, set up an account on the Bible app. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. But when you go to the home screen on the Bible app, there's a little button in the center bottom that says plans. It's got a little check mark, plans. And on this page, there are, I don't know, hundreds of Bible reading plans for you. And they're divided up by topic. So like, here's a, here's a, a row of reading plans just for men. So uh, here's how, here's the college football of the Bible. I don't know what that even is. Uh, husbands defined, how to be a biblical father, how to be a transformed man, becoming a king. I mean, there's a ton of men's reading plans. Uh, there's women's reading plans. There's plans that deal with love and anxiety and healing and anger and depression and fear, peace. I mean, I don't know what kind of issues you struggle with personally, but man, there is there are dozens of plans for you right here in the Bible app and it's free. It's all provided for you. And you can use your Bible app alone or you can have a paper Bible open beside your device and you can use it that way. I, just, I don't care. I just want you to be in the word of God. All right. Let God transform you by the renewing of your mind. That's what he says to us in Romans. He does that through his word. Okay. Two more things really quickly. Two more things. Um, the first is something you can come to tonight at 6 p.m. I'm inviting you to join me just for an hour of prayer right here in this room. There's a lot of stuff facing us right now. We've talked about it all, the COVID everything, the runoff elections, and we feel compelled to pray about that. We had a great little 21 days of prayer a couple of months ago, and I really want to kind of bring that back a little bit tonight. I'm just asking you to pray for an hour. We'll use our standard prayer guide that we always use. And so it's not like you're, you're going to sit here quietly with your eyes closed and snoring for an hour. Uh, we're going to do this together and the hour will go by quickly, I promise. Uh, usually I get to the end of the hour and I'm, I still feel like I got more to pray. It'll be great and we'll walk you right through it. So join me tonight right here at 6 p.m. Set a reminder on your phone. Uh, so that it'll beep at you and remind you to come here tonight at 6 p.m. for an hour of prayer. This, the last thing, the fourth thing on my list is next Sunday night at 6 p.m. I thought it would be really helpful um, if I helped you learn how to meditate on God's Word. My daughter called me up uh, a month or so ago, and she's like, hey, Dad, I keep hearing about meditating on the Word of God. I don't know what that means. What does that mean? How do you do that? Is that even right? It sounds kind of new agey to me. Is that okay? I'm like, dude, no. The Scripture tells us over and over again to meditate on God's Word. And she's like, yeah, well, no one's ever told me how to do that. So I just kind of, on the phone with her, I just kind of sat down and walked her through what it means to meditate 
and how you do it. We just kind of practiced it together a little bit. And at the end of the conversation, she said, Dad, that ought, to, you, that ought to be a sermon. You need to do that with everybody. So next Sunday night at 6 p.m., I'm not going to preach a sermon. Uh, we're just going to have a group of people that want to learn how to meditate on God's Word. There's really three components to meditating on God's Word. If you can get those three things down, it's really pretty simple. I'd love to help you learn how to practice meditating. You'll come in next Sunday night at 6, and you will have heard this verse that we'll meditate on before but when you leave, it'll be a whole different verse for you with a whole different set of meaning and a much deeper, deeper, deeper content than you ever thought it had. So that's what we'll do next Sunday night at six. And that will help you as you, as you immerse yourself into the word of God, you'll learn to meditate on the word. This is urgent. Don't let this be a trickle. Don't let it be something that, oh, it's just another thing on my calendar. This is urgent now for us. Romans 13 said, this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone and the day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. This is urgent. Now, I hope that this will be, last mic on your page, your wake-up call. I hope that this will be your wake-up call for 2021, that you won't settle for the trickle. You won't settle for the COVID zombie. You won't settle for the old man negotiating and working his way free. But instead, you will do your one job, guard your old man, and become the person that Christ is making you into this year. Mm -hmm.